So this is a reading from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought um, spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of our God. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name's Alex. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word. Uh, loving Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you for the miracle of the resurrection and the miracle that you worked in Jackson's life as well. Uh, as we come uh, to reflect on the hope we have in Jesus, I pray you do a miracle in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there are often uh, events in history we talk about as uh, world-defining, as uh, events that kind of change the course of history. And, and really today we're celebrating and reflecting on that, the world-defining event, the event that changed the world forever. It's the day that death died, the day that Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, never to die again. Uh, you might uh, have been with us on Good Friday, and on Good Friday, we remember that Jesus went to the cross for us. He bore God's judgment. He suffered the punishment our sins deserve. And the resurrection is, is not separate to that, you see. The resurrection is proof that his loving sacrifice was enough. Uh, this is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, if Christ has not been raised, so if he's just been killed but not been raised, you are still in your sins. Uh, he says this because if Jesus stayed dead, it would have kind of meant in some way that Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. If Jesus had remained in the grave, it means for whatever reason, his attempts to uh, deal with sin, to atone for sin, they would just weren't effective. But uh, as he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has been raised and because he has been raised, we have full assurance that his sacrifice was all sufficient. It was perfectly effective in paying for our sin. Christ's uh, resurrection means that, that, yes, there is a way back for all of us into relationship with God. It means, yes, our sins have been washed away. It means, yes, the floodgates of God's mercy have been flung open wide. And it means, yes, that when we come to him in faith, we can have full assurance that our sins have been forgiven. 
That's one thing the resurrection tells us about Jesus. Uh, Something else. Uh, Throughout history, uh, God had promised through his prophets that he would send his Messiah into the world. Uh, Messiah is just the Hebrew word, the uh, Israel, uh, Israel word for king. God promised his Messiah would come to reign, but he wouldn't just come as king of Israel. He would come as Lord of the entire universe. He would come to bring God's cosmic rule of mercy, of justice and peace. Now, throughout Israel's history, many people claimed that they were that Messiah. Here's a picture of one. Uh, His name's Simon Bar Kokhba. You can read about him in some of the histories. Uh, As a Messiah, he led a Jewish revolt against Rome. They were expecting a leader, a military leader, and he was one of those. But you see that revolt that was crushed and it was killed. Have a think about what would have happened if Jesus' story ended on Good Friday, if that was it. He would have also have uh, been remembered as just another messianic pretender. But the story didn't end on Good Friday. It ended in resurrection. And that's God's testimony, his public testimony to the whole world that Jesus is who he claims to be. Uh, This is what the Apostle Peter preached in Acts 2. The resurrection is the proof that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Well, if that's what the resurrection says about Jesus, the resurrection isn't just like a fact that we give assent to, that we kind of remember once a year. If we believe it, we can't just go on living as if nothing has changed. The resurrection means that Jesus is Lord over everything, including me and you. It means he deserves all our loyalty and love, all our obedience and worship. Things have to change. The bodily, histor- the bodily, historical and miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the world-changing event. And it's a foundation of the Christian faith. This is uh, what else the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, not only are you still in your sins, but your faith is futile. It's useless. It's pointless. Meeting on a Sunday each week, a waste of time. Christ's resurrection has to be historically true, had to have happened for Christianity to be worthwhile. So that's the question, right? Is it? Well, I think there are lots of good reasons to believe that, well, it is. The best evidence I think we have are the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, uh, like the one we heard read from Mark's gospel, There's good evidence to suggest that they're historically intact. And by that, I mean what we have in our hands today is what was actually recorded and seen by those first eyewitnesses, what they reported. And uh, there's a lot to say about that. And we've got some books on the bookstall and you can come and talk to me afterwards if you want to hear more about that. And there's also good reasons to suggest what was originally written down, uh, what they reported was what they actually saw. 
Uh, here are just a couple of reasons why. There's many more, but here are a couple of reasons why. One reason you'll notice in the account, the resurrection account, the prominence of women. Uh, here, uh, Mark mentions three eyewitnesses, three women. Uh, they'd seen Jesus die. Uh, they'd seen him buried in the tomb. But they arrived, as was the custom, to anoint the body. And when they got there, they found the tomb empty. Why? Well, because he's risen. He wasn't there. Uh, as later, uh, re as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, these same women who, who went to the tomb to find it empty encountered the risen Christ. But these eyewitnesses were women. Sadly, uh, for different reasons in that culture, uh, women weren't considered credible witnesses. They weren't allowed to give testimony in court. And so if you are making something up, why would you make unreliable witnesses the first people to see Jesus? Well, if you're making something up, you wouldn't. This suggests that these events, the events of the resurrection weren't made up, they were recorded as they were witnessed. Well, after the women, many others saw Jesus as well. They ate with him, they spoke with him, they heard him, they, they touched him physically after they'd all seen him crucified. And as the New Testament was being written, these eyewitnesses were still telling their stories. Anyone could have asked them, you know, I've heard about this gospel account that this is your account, is this true? And if it wasn't what they said, they could have just put an end to it right there. The eyewitnesses were alive as the gospel account started circulating. And many of those eyewitnesses who were telling their stories were killed for telling their stories. Do you reckon they would have died for something that they knew wasn't true? For something that they knew was made up? Do you think they would have kept on telling their stories to the point of death if they weren't convinced that they'd seen Jesus alive? Uh, this is what one theologian said, uh, an American theologian, Fleming Rutledge. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we would never have heard of him. If, we ha if, we, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no... There's no Gospels, there's no New Testament, there's no church. It's done. Now, there's lots more that could be said about the resurrection and its historical basis. Uh, I'd be perfectly willing to have a chat with you afterwards if you'd like to know more. Uh, we're also running a Christianity Explored course uh, starting on the 2nd of May, and we'll hear more about that later. Uh, there's also a bookstall out there, and I've just left these books down here, so I'll grab them now. Here's a couple that I can recommend if you've got questions about the significance of the resurrection or its historical basis. Uh, one of them is a nice uh, short little one uh, called Is Easter Unbelievable? We'll answer some of your questions. Another one which includes great stuff about the resurrection but also uh, sort of explores the idea of what the resurrection means for us uh, and our world. It's called Surprised by Hope by Tom Wright and you can grab those at the bookstore afterwards. But what I really want uh, us to focus on today, for the rest of today, is what the resurrection actually means uh, for us in our lives. 
And I'm going to do that by taking us to a funeral because sometimes it takes death for us to realise how important Easter Sunday really is. So I'm going to invite Bridget up and she's going to read uh, uh, the first seven verses uh, from that first reading in your sheet from John 11. So just have that with you. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So we hear about um, Lazarus and his sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. They all lived in Bethany, which was about uh, four days uh, journey southwest of where Jesus was when he heard the news. Uh, now we know that Jesus loved Lazarus. Uh, that's why it's surprising to hear that he, he doesn't go as soon as he hears what's going on. Uh, he waits two days. Why did he, why did he do that? Is it because maybe Lazarus just had a bit of a case of the man flu? You know, he was going to get better. Well, it's not that. He knew it was serious. Jesus knew uh, that it was very serious. And in fact, he only leaves when he knows Lazarus is dead. This is from verse 14. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So what's exactly Jesus playing at here? What's his purpose? Is he using Lazarus to make a, a bigger point? And if he is, that's pretty brutal. You shouldn't really do that to a friend, should you? But that's not quite what's going on. First, we know that Jesus loved Lazarus. And second, the journey to Lazarus was four days. Jesus waits two days before leaving. Uh, but when he arrives, uh, verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus was already in the tomb for four days. So if you do kind of the mass, and I'll do them for you, uh, even if Jesus left immediately, Lazarus would already have been dead, but two days instead of four. So why does Jesus wait these extra days? I think part of it is because Jews thought that decomposition of the body set in after four days. And they thought, well, at this time, that's when the soul kind of leaves the body. In other words, after four days, the person is like proper dead. So Jesus waited. So when he got there, would be no doubt that Lazarus was gone. And so what he's going to do at Bethany is not only show his love for Lazarus, his friend, but he's going to reveal something of his true identity for all the people who are going to look on. So Bridget's now going to read from the next scene, from verses 17 to 32. Now 
On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. After this, she said, uh, after she had said this, and she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, in Jewish culture, uh, they buried the body on the day of the death. They didn't, they didn't wait around. After the burial, the mourners kind of walked back in procession and then they uh, observed a 30-day period of mourning. That's a long funeral. I've been to many funerals in my time, not, not any that long. Uh, some of those funerals are, are long expected. Uh, the person has lived a full life and maybe they've passed away quietly, uh, surrounded by the ones they love. But, but some other fu funerals, they're tragic. They're gut-wrenching. But I think every, every funeral I've been to has been sad. Uh, people try and process what's going on in, in different ways. They live such a full life. They'll live on in our hearts. But at the end of the day, they can't change what happened. The person that we love so much is gone. And so really funerals, I think, make us stop as it turns out, there is really nothing more important than matters of life and death. Funerals, they tend to be a reality check in our lives. Death reminds us of just how trivial some of the things that we worry about, the things that we complain and fight about, how, how trivial they really are. Death reminds us just how fragile life is, how quickly it can just slip away. And death reminds us how precious people are. And so Jesus arrives at this funeral and the grief is palpable. After he arrived, Jesus meets uh, uh, Lazarus' sisters. Martha is pretty composed, but Mary, she's beside herself. In tears, she flings herself at Jesus' feet. We all have different ways of dealing with grief, right? But notice they both say the same thing when they see Jesus. Lord, 
if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They love Jesus. They call him Lord. They respect him. But there's a challenge there, right? A respectful one, but still a challenge. Why weren't you here? Is it any wonder? They're distraught. I mean, there's nothing more basic, nothing more essential than the bonds that we share with the ones we love and nothing hurts more than when these kind of bonds are just torn apart. There's no such thing as a good funeral because nothing can replace what death takes away. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, Jesus attempts to comfort Martha and he says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. What do you think? It'll be okay, Martha. Don't worry, he'll be back one day. Martha's response, I think, is pretty flat. I know he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. She knows her scriptures, Martha. She knows she's read Ezekiel. She knows that all will be raised on the last day, including Lazarus. But And maybe soon she'll draw strength from that promise that she will see him again one day. But now it's raw, right? It's cold comfort. And I don't think really um, Martha or Mary fully grasp what Jesus means when he says in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you really understand this? Martha, Martha, listen. The resurrection is not just a future fact. Eternal life is not just some kind of far-off, disconnected hope. It's here. It's now. It's standing right in front of you. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. Those who believe in me will rise to eternal life. See, if Jesus was just another Jewish prophet or a teacher, he would have agreed with Martha, he will rise on the last day. But Jesus is so much more. He's God in the flesh, God the Son. He's the resurrection and the life. Have a look uh, at verse 33, just down towards the bottom of the page. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who flung the stars into space, the one who spun galaxies into existence. As he approached the grave of his friend, he burst into tears. Jesus wept. Why? Well, because he loved him. He was feeling sorrow, but it wasn't just sorrow that moved him. Have a look at verse 38. 
Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Jesus was also deeply moved. The underlying word here also reflects a kind of agitation or indignation, almost anger. Jesus wasn't just sad, he was angry. He was angry at death for taking his friend. He was angry at death for all those it had taken. You see, this was never God's plan. Death wasn't meant to be just part of the circle of life. God created us for life, for relationship with him and each other, not for death. Death is alien. Death is the great enemy of humanity. It rends, it separates, it tears families and relationships apart. That's why at the grave of Lazarus, Jesus wept. That's why he's angry. And, and Jesus' tears show us that when we pray to God in our pain, in our suffering, our tears, our prayers don't just bounce back off the ceiling and just, or just fly out into the ether. They show us that he loves us, that God loves us, that he loves you and me and all our broken world. Because this is God, the Son, weeping. But the wonderful news of Easter is that Jesus did more than just weep. The great news is that when Jesus encountered death, he acted. Bridget will bring the next part of our reading. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus, come out. And the people looked on in awe. Uh, with the word, uh, Jesus banishes demons. Get out. With the word, he, he calms the storm. Stop. And with the word, Jesus raises the dead. Lazarus, come out. And he came out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And he came out because on that day, death had met its master. Notice something. Lazarus came out still wearing his grave clothes, right? His bandages, his covering around the head. I wonder why. I guess maybe after you've been in the grave for four days, folding up your clothes neatly, uh, leaving them there isn't your top of your priority list. But I reckon there's another reason that uh, John draws our attention to this 
detail. I think it's this, because Lazarus' resurrection was temporary. Uh, Is this Lazarus still alive now? No, he's not, is he? He's died. Death still had its grip on him. Uh, That's why he came out dressed in his grave clothes, because one day he was going to need them again. As amazing as it was, it was just temporary. It was a Band-Aid solution, but it was a Band-Aid that points to something much greater. Easter, Jesus' resurrection. It points us to the one who was raised to die uh, never again, raised to life and to die never again. You see, on that very first Easter, when uh, uh, almost 2,000 uh, uh, 2000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, when the three women arrived, they found a stone rolled away. And this time, where were the grave clothes? This is what John says later in his Gospel. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb after hearing about what had happened. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. They were lying in the empty tomb where they belonged because Jesus would never ever need them again because when Jesus rose he rose never to die when he rose he had final victory over death not just for them but all those who would follow in his footsteps all those that would love and trust him friends because of Easter Sunday we can know for sure that Jesus was for real when he said I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. In this life, there will be more funerals. There will be more suffering and there will be more tears. But because of Easter, death has a use-by date. Its days are numbered. Because of Easter, we need not live in fear of death anymore because when Jesus comes again in glory he'll call out from the grave all those who love and have put their faith in him he'll say Bridget come out Jackson come out Jack come out and we will rise from the grave and into eternal life and on that day there will be no suffering there will be no more tears no more goodbyes On that day, there'll be no more death. This resurrection of Lazarus is a reminder, but Easter is the guarantee that those who trust in Christ, though they die, they will live. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Shall we pray? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that through the Lord Jesus Christ, on that day when he encountered death, he acted. We thank you on that first Easter Sunday that you acted. Father, comfort us with this world-changing, history-defining event. In Jesus' name, amen.